The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. sing another one, but we don't know another one. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's what we're going to sing in heaven. Some of you folks that uh, don't listen to Southern Gospel get to listen to it all in eternity. That's what we're going to sing. I, I, you know, I, I say that, but all, 
all music that praises the Lord be sung in heaven. I'm sure we'll have all different kinds of music. We'll have some of those beautiful African harmonies. Uh, we'll have some uh, other things that, uh, and the Bible says we're going to sing a new song. And so that's what heaven, heaven are all things new. Thank you, ladies. Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, one of my favorite chapters. We're going to be thinking today about the subject, trick or treat. I thought it would be appropriate on the day we have our fall family festival to preach on that. Uh, 35 years ago, we had our first fall family festival, and it started with just a few people uh, down at the old church, and uh, it's grown now. It's the largest event we have on campus every year. And we appreciate all of you helping with it. You say, well, I haven't helped anyway this year. Well, guess what? If you'll come this afternoon, help us clean up, you can be a big help. That's always the biggest job. And uh, all we need is some able-bodied folks to try to help clean up because uh, when we close at 6, we've got to get everything ready uh, to have kindergarten here tomorrow. We don't want to have anything in the parking lot. And so we appreciate all of you that could help us after the Fall Family Festival night. Also, let me remind you, next Sunday... Uh, remember on Saturday night to fall back, move your clocks back an hour, get an extra hour of sleep next Saturday night, and so remember to do that. Well, let's stand together to show our respect for the reading of God's Word, reading from the book of Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. By faith, after Moses was born, he was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. For he considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since his attention was on the reward. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible." By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, uh, I remember exactly the reason why we started the Fall Family Festival. Years ago, people started... uh, during trick-or-treat, they started playing tricks on children. And, uh, they, in fact, I remember several years the Children's Hospital of Alabama offered to let you have your kids' candy x-rayed to make sure it was safe because there were people that were uh, putting different things in candy and, uh, and they didn't want children to be hurt. And, and so we talked about it, and that's when the fall festival began. And we've had one every year since then, except one year we called it off Uh, James Spann said it was going to have torrential rainfall, and so we called off the the Fall Family Festival, and that afternoon it was a beautiful, sunshiny day, wasn't a cloud in the sky, and uh, James Spann has misled us, and so uh, we've said since then we're going to have Fall Family Festival rain or shine, so I hope all of you will plan to be here. I've already got my band on. If you have that band, you can get a hot dog and some chili and a drink and uh, all kinds of other things, and uh, uh, we have the chili contest. hope some of you chili cookers are got your chili going. Mine's at home in the crock pot right now, and uh, we'll bring it up here this afternoon and see who wins. I, I am uh, uh, one win and 34 losses, so uh, uh, I'm entering again. I, I'm shameless. I enter every year whether I win or not. 
But uh, we have a wonderful time, and I hope all of you plan to come up here. When I was a kid, Halloween was probably my second favorite holiday. My favorite holiday was Christmas, because on Christmas you got plenty to eat all day long, and people gave you presents. I loved that. And then Halloween, you could dress up and go door to door and ring the doorbell and say trick or treat, and people would give you candy. And uh, I planned meticulously for Halloween. I had three or four different costumes, and uh, I would uh, put on a costume and go around the neighborhood, and I would find out the ones who were giving out Snickers. And uh, I would go home after I made my first round, and on the second, third, and fourth rounds, I would just hit the houses that gave Snickers. And uh, that happened until one day uh, people started telling each other, watch out for Mike Shaw, he'll come to your house four times if you have Snickers. So they ruined my, my plot. But, uh, in fact, I'm even don- I've donated some Snickers tonight for the candy because I have happy memories. But I-, I loved Halloween, and it wasn't a time. In fact, my daddy warned me. He said, if you ever play a trick on anybody, you're going to pay for it when you get home. So I never really wanted to trick anybody. I just wanted the treat. Well, if I looked at the Bible and I read the Bible correctly, I find trick-or-treat in the Bible. Here it says in the Bible that Moses chose to suffer, aff- suffer affliction with God's people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. And so I wanted to look at that. And I like what M.E. Wright said at Calvary Baptist Church in Grenada, Mississippi. He said, why would anyone choose to suffer? Why did Moses, one of God's own, suffer? It was by faith that he made the choice. Moses heard the word of God, believed the word of God, and he acted upon the word of God. Egypt stands for the world. So Moses was in the world, but he was not of it. He left Pharaoh's court and refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And I want you to know that salvation is a trick or treat event. Because first of all, the devil wants to trick us. Now I find that all through the Bible. In fact, we find it first of all in Genesis 3.1. In Genesis 3.1, the Bible says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. I don't like snakes. Uh, I believe that the only good snake is a dead snake. Uh, I, you know, I don't know why anybody would want to pick up a snake. I have never wanted to pick up a snake. In fact, I don't even want to see a snake. When I'm out in the woods, that's the last thing I want to see is a snake. And I keep my eyes open because that's where they live. But I don't like snakes. But don't blame snakes because this was no ordinary snake. We're told in Genesis 3 that it was a serpent. But then in Revelation, we're told who that serpent was. He says, so the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Now, the devil has wanted to trick mankind ever since creation. He tricked Adam and Eve into sin. And he still tricks people today. He tricks young people into doing things, making mistakes. He tricks adults into doing things, making mistakes. He would trick the entire world if it were possible for him to do that. I have good news. He is powerful, but he's not all powerful. And you don't have to fall for the devil's tricks. Uh, The first trick the devil has is found right there in Genesis chapter 3. In fact, that same verse that says the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made quotes him by saying this, did God really say? Now, some of you may be here today and you may be wondering, oh, well, is the word of God really true? Does the word of God 
stand the test of time and, and all the things that happen. Yes, it does. When God says something, that settles it. You know, there was a bumper sticker out for years that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, there's only one thing wrong with that bumper sticker. You didn't need the second statement. God said it, that settles it. God is not waiting up in heaven for you and I to approve what he says. In fact, the Bible says the word of our God shall stand forever. The Bible also says thy word, O Lord, is settled forever in heaven. I believe that means that there's a copy of the Holy Bible in heaven and that we get there, uh, we'll have the same Bible we read down here on earth uh, to read in heaven because the word says thy word, O Lord, is settled forever in heaven. But the devil wants you to doubt God's word. Now, why would he want you to doubt God's word? Because God's word is a way of doubting God. Moses believed God. In fact, I love the translation here. It says, for he considered the reproach because of the Messiah. You see, I think they got that right. Because Moses chose to suffer affliction with God's people rather than sin for a season because he knew Jesus was coming. Now, he didn't know when Jesus was coming, but he knew he was coming, and he wanted to suffer affliction because of the coming of the Messiah. Now, the devil will try to trick you and make God a liar. I, I believe every word in the Bible, I don't believe there's a word in the Bible that you can't believe, and I believe that you can base your life, base your family, base your soul salvation on what the Bible teaches. The Word of God is true. The older I get, the more I'm convinced that the Word of God is true and it's faithful and we can use it and depend on it when all else fails. So the devil, first of all, said, make God a liar. Did God really say that? God did say that. And the moment that Adam and Eve ate of that forbidden fruit, they died immediately spiritually. They didn't die immediately physically, but they were separated from God the moment they disobeyed God and ate of that fruit. The devil tricked them and said, make God a liar. Did God really say that? Then the second way the devil tricks us is he wants us to make a gamble with our life. He said uh, in, in, in Acts chapter 26, Paul was brought before a man named Agrippa, and he was the king. And Paul was in prison, in chains, and he was brought before King Agrippa, and he shared the gospel with King Agrippa. And Agrippa looked at Paul, and he said these words. Then Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? In other words, Paul, do you think by telling me about Jesus one time I can become a Christian? Well, I have news for King Agrippa. He should have. Because we're not ever promised we'll hear the gospel twice. Some of you may have heard the gospel three or four times. There are people in the world who've never heard the gospel. You say, what's God going to do about them? Don't you worry about that. God's got that under control, I assure you. Uh, he'll see that if they receive the light they've received, he'll give them more light. And if they receive that light, he'll give them more light. And one day they'll come to the light of the world, who is Jesus Christ, and they'll trust him. God is covering all his bases. You don't have to worry about God. But let me tell you what you do have to worry about. You have to worry about the devil because here's what the devil is telling some of you right now. Some of you know that you need to be saved. Some of you realize that if you died right now, you'd spend eternity separated from God. And the devil is whispering in your ear, hey, the preacher is right. You, you don't need to die without being saved, but you don't need to be saved today. You just wait a week or two. Now, there'll be a more convenient time for you to be saved. Several years ago, we went up to Indian Hills with my faith team. There were three of us, and we rang the doorbell, and we were invited in, and I talked to a family. They had visited our church, and as we began to talk to them, I asked the man, usually that's where I started, I asked the husband, I said, have you come to a place in your life where you knew absolutely for certain that if you died, you'd go to heaven? 
And he said, no, I haven't reached that point in my life. And I said, well, can I tell you how the Bible tells you that you can know that you have eternal life and spend eternity with God? He said, you can tell me. And so I went through the plan of salvation. When I came to the end, I said, do you know of any reason why you'd not be willing to repent of your sin and turn and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, be born again? And he said, yeah, I can think of a reason. I said, well, what is it? He said, I'm not ready. And I said, well, why aren't you ready? He said, well, I'm just not ready. He said, I, I, I've heard what you said. And, and he said, I know you believe it, but he said, I'm not ready. And I said, well, do you mind if I talk to your family? He said, no, go right ahead. I talked to every member of his family and every member of his family, except him said, when I die, I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ is my Lord and savior. There were seven saved people in that house and one lost person. And when we left that night, He told me, I'm just not ready. As far as I know, that man has never gotten ready. There's a man in Pelham I've been praying for for 35 years. I've gone to see him. I went to see him when his wife died. I've been to his house. I've carried every evangelist just about we've ever had in this church to his house. I've shared the gospel with him personally. I've listened to these evangelists who shared the gospel with him. I carried the two best soul winners I know. They're better soul winners than I am. I don't have the gift of evangelism. These two men had the gift of evangelism. I went with them and was their prayer partner. And they shared the gospel as I had on other occasions. And that man said, no, I'm not ready to do that. Now he's in his 80s. I doubt seriously he'll ever get saved. He's heard the word. You see, some people say, oh, a preacher, I can get saved Anytime I want to. No, you can't. You can't do that because for you to be saved, the Holy Spirit has to convict you. And the Bible says very plainly, God said, my spirit will not always strive with man. And I believe there's a time, I don't know what it is, it's different for different people, but I believe it's called the deadline. And when God convicts a man and that man time and time and time again says no to God, I believe there comes a time when God said He said no to me, and now I'm going to say no to him. You say, preacher, can you give us an instance of that in the Scripture? I'm glad you asked. It was Pharaoh. You see, when Moses went to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go. And the Bible said that God, or Pharaoh, hardened his heart. Pharaoh said, I'm not going to do that. And then after the plague started coming, Pharaoh was almost ready to let them go, but the Bible says God hardened his heart. You know what had happened to Pharaoh? He had crossed the deadline. God said, I'm not going to convict him anymore. He's been convicted. He knew what was right. He said, no, I'm not going to convict him anymore. You see, you can't come to God on your terms. You have to come to God on his terms. And his terms are when the Holy Spirit convicts you, you need to come. That's why I love to see children come to Christ. That's why we put so much emphasis on our children coming to know Christ and being discipled. And by the way, I just want to say this. We have a wonderful program here on Sunday nights called Bible Drills. And to me, that's the best thing we do. Why? Because it teaches boys and girls to love and know the Word of God. And I think that's the greatest thing we do. I love Bible school. I love the Fall Family Festival. But I think Bible Drills is wonderful because it teaches our boys and girls. They can trust and love the Word of God and depend on it. But the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart first, and then God hardened his heart. 
And you see, that's the devil saying, oh, yeah, you need to be saved. Just don't do it today. You need to get in Sunday school. Just don't do it today. You need to use your talent singing for God in the choir. Just don't do it right now. Just wait till a more convenient time. And there never will be a more convenient time. The devil wants you to make a gamble with your life. And someday you may lose your soul because you made that gamble. And then the third thing the devil tries to trick us to doing is to make gold our Lord. Uh, and, and by the way, this is one trick of the devil that even Christians can fall into. Notice that Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pains. Notice what Paul said. He said Christians need to watch out for this. Because he said if you love money, you'll wander away from this faith. Now if you were saved, you'll still be saved. But you can lose your testimony. I could call people's names. I'm not going to. But I could call people's names who had learned to love money. And they wandered away. At one time they were active and faithful. They tithed. They went on mission trips, they shared the gospel, and all of a sudden, they began to love money and all that it could buy. And I could name names, I'm not going to. I could name names of people who have lost everything because they became so greedy and so obsessed with wealth. I know of preachers that have done that. Preachers that used to stand in the pulpit and preach the gospel and were faithful to the word of God. But then they began to love money. And what happened to them, the Bible says. A temptation, a trap, many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now those are the tricks of the devil. But I want to finish this message by talking to you about the treats of God. Because that's what God has for everybody who will accept them. And the first thing is the promise of a happy salvation. Notice that Paul said to the Romans, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you know that if you study all the world's religions and study Christianity, you'll see a difference in Christianity. You know what religion is? Religion is people trying to reach God by good works. And almost every religion has their book. For example, the Muslims have the Koran. Well, I've read the Koran. In fact, I've got a copy of it in my office. You say, why would you keep a copy of the Koran? I want to know what it says. You know what the Koran teaches? The Koran teaches that you can't know that you're going to go to paradise unless you kill people for Allah. That's what the Koran says. All these people that get up and say, oh, uh, Islam is a religion of peace. They're not telling you the truth. You go read their book and see what it says. It says the best way for them to get to heaven, they're what they call heaven paradise, is for them to kill us. And when they kill us, we get to go to paradise as they see it, and they get to go to paradise if they die for their faith. But they don't know that they're saved. You ask a Muslim today, are you sure you're going to paradise? And he'd have to say, well, no, the Quran doesn't teach I can be sure. I just hope I, I can go. And, and in and in. in Islam, Allah is an angry God. He doesn't have mercy and grace. He tells, us to, he tells people to kill each other. What kind of religion is that? That's man trying to reach God on man's efforts. Uh, 
I don't care what other kind of religion it is. Even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, better known as the Mormons. It's a works religion. And, and they have added to the Bible. They, believe, they say, oh, we believe in the Bible. If you have Mormon missionaries come to your house, they'll tell you, we believe in the Bible. But when you ask them, but don't you believe more in the Book of Mormon than you do the Bible? They say, well, that's true. And then you can say, and don't you believe that stuff has been written since the Book of Mormon was written that supersedes the Book of Mormon? They say, yeah, we believe that. You know what the Book of Mormon says? It tells you that God was once like you are. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God has never been a human being and except when Jesus was incarnate, God has always been God. And in in eternity past, he was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's always been the same. But there came a time when Jesus came to earth through the womb of the Virgin Mary. But he was still God of very God. But you see, Christianity is God reaching down for us. We sang about the hill called Mount Calvary. There's an old gospel song that says, when the Savior reached down for me, I love it because he said when the Savior reached down for me, he had to reach way down for me. I was lost and undone without God or his son when the Savior reached down for me. I'm not going to heaven on my good works. I'm not going to heaven because I've been a Baptist preacher for 43 years. I'm going to heaven because Jesus left heaven and came down here and took my hell on the cross. And I put my faith and trust in him as a 16-year-old boy. And my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Oh, I'm happy about that. That's a happy salvation. I'm saved, and I know I'm saved. I'm just as sure of heaven as if I were already walking down golden streets, not because of anything I've done, but because of what God has done. That's a happy salvation, folks. I don't have to wait till I die to see if I'm going to heaven. I'm going. I hope you're going because there's a promise of a happy salvation. But not only is the promise of a happy salvation the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that Christianity is the only religion that teaches that God becomes a part of you when you get saved? You see, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit convicts you that you need to be saved, and you have to be willing to say, Lord, I surrender. Moses had to be willing to say, I'm not going to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm not going to be raised as the future Pharaoh of Egypt. I'm going to be an Israelite, and I'm going to suffer with God's people because one day the Messiah is going to come. You see, the Holy Spirit came upon Moses. The Holy Spirit came upon David. The Holy Spirit came upon the prophets. But guess what? We have the Holy Spirit in us. The Bible says, and the one who prepared us for this very thing is God who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and when you have the Holy Spirit in you, God is saying, you've got a place in heaven already. You don't have to worry about that. And let me tell you something. You know what I do when I get up every morning? The first thing I do when I get up every morning is I put my feet on the floor, on the side of the bed, and I thank the Lord. I thank the Lord, first of all, for my salvation. I thank the Lord, second of all, that I know who I am and where I am. And the third thing I do is I tell the Lord, Lord, I crucify the old man because he's here. He's inside here. He's alive and well in old brother Mike, and he wants to come out. But every morning I get up and I crucify the old man. And I say, Lord, I don't want to live for me today. I don't want to live for Mike Shaw. I want to live for Jesus Christ. And it is a daily responsibility. I hope you do that every day. Somebody asked me the other day, how do you feel? I said, well, I I feel pretty good for an old fellow with two bad knees. But I want you to know my salvation doesn't depend on how I feel. I, I got up sick one morning. I mean, I was sick as a dog. 
And I told Mary, I said, Mary, I'm sick. And she looked over and she said, I'm sick too. And I said, well, you need to take care of me because I'm sick. And she said, no, you need to take care of me because I'm sick. And I said, I'm sicker than you. She said, no, you're not sicker than me. And she, she said, I'm sick now unto death. And I said, well, I'd have, to, I'd have to die to get to feeling better. I, I, I'm, I'm sicker than you. And so we called the doctor's office. And I said, I, my wife and I need to come to the doctor's office. Both of us are sick. And so we got down to the doctor's office, and they took our temperature. I had a degree of fever higher than her, so I proved her I was the sickest that day. I won the argument. I'm sicker. I got a degree higher fever. I'm close to death. Now, I wasn't close to death. I had the flu. Doctor filled me full of shots and sent me home. And a few days later, I got to feeling better. Now, if you'd asked me that morning when I got up, Brother Mike, do you feel saved? No, I don't feel saved. I feel sick. But it's not my feelings that count. It's the fact that the Holy Spirit is in me. He's the earnest money of my salvation. He's the down payment. And God says, one day you're going to spend eternity in heaven because the Holy Spirit is in you. And that's the last thing. We have a palace in heaven someday. Jesus said this in John 14, 2 in the King James Version. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. Now, I know, I know the translation there is in my Father's house are many dwelling places or rooms. But don't you think God lives in a mansion? I mean, he's worthy of it, isn't he? Nobody else worthy to live in a mansion but God. Well, guess what? The Bible says that when we get saved, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus has, we have. God just gives it to us. We don't have to beg him for it. He gives it to us. And I don't know what kind of a place I'll have in heaven, but it's going to at least be a mansion. Hey, you, you wouldn't put a shack on golden streets, I tell you that. It wouldn't look right. I, I hurt somebody's feelings one time, and I didn't mean to. But there's one southern gospel song I will not sing. Years ago, somebody was trying to be humble, and they wrote this song that said, Lord, build me just a cabin in the corner of glory land. Now, that may be your favorite song, and I'm sorry if it is, but it's not biblical. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to prepare a cabin in the corner of glory land. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And he said, I go to prepare a what for you? A place. You know, you got a place in heaven. When you're saved, you get a place in heaven. And there's not many differences between place and palace. So I believe we all have a palace in heaven someday. Now, I want to tell you this. Some of you are going to have a palace, and you won't believe how big it is because you think, well, I've never done anything great. Listen, I want to tell you, you read the Bible. The Bible says the last shall be first and the first shall be last. I've always had a fear of dying and look up ahead of me, and just ahead of me in line to get in heaven is Billy Graham. Wouldn't you hate to enter heaven behind Billy Graham? I mean, you know, here's your robe, Billy. Here, here's your celestial mansion, Billy. You know, you're, you're, you're right up there, and then you be next. But I want to tell you this. You won't worry about it. Because I want to tell you, there are going to be some folks that worked in our nursery. They never had a program called My Hope Wanted to Get People Saved. But you know what they did? They told little boys and little girls they loved them from the time they came in that nursery till the time they moved to the next class. And they were faithful. Their name 
only time their name was in the bulletin was when they were working in the nursery. Or maybe they taught them in Bible school. Or, or maybe they sang in the choir. And, and let me tell you this, Now I love to hear our soloists sing. But there are a lot of people that never get to sing a solo, Paula. They have a gift that they want to share, and they share it as best they can. By the way, you know, the Bible doesn't say you have to sing beautifully. The Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And you say, well, preacher, what if they get in the choir? I know Paula's secret. You see, if she's got somebody in the choir that kind of sings off key, when she's up there directing, she's going like this, but there's one person there, she's kind of going. She's not waving at him. She's saying, a little softer, a little softer, a little softer. I'm telling you, Paula doesn't really do that. I was just picking on her. We did have a guy like that in our youth choir one time. We had a guy that he wanted to go on choir tour. He, I mean, he couldn't sing a lick. I mean, he, really, he, he was tone deaf and a monotone. I mean, you know, I've heard cats screaming at night. It sounded better than this guy did. He loved the Lord, wanted to go on choir tour. You know what our choir director did? He let him go on choir tour. And he stood and made him stand by me. He was singing in my ear. I had enough trouble staying on pitch as it was. This guy's singing in my ear. I, you know, no telling what I sang. And, and the choir director said, Mike, if you see me go like this when I'm directing, punch him and tell him not to sing so loud. And we were in a church one night, and the acoustics were great. And we had a number we were going to do a cappella. This guy was singing not on the notes. He was singing the cracks between the notes. And the choir director did like this. And I punched him and I said, don't sing. And he said, why? I said, because the choir director said, don't sing. We're up there arguing in the choir about why or not he should be singing. But look, you say, what's the point of that, preacher? The point is this. God takes what you have and blesses it. Think about that woman that came into Jesus. And she had an alabaster box of ointment. And all these people were sitting around the table. Nobody had done anything good for Jesus. And that lady came in, broke that alabaster box of ointment open and poured it on him. And that fragrance went all over that room. It not only blessed Jesus by being on him, it blessed everybody in that room with a sweet smell. And you know who started talking about her first? Judas. He said, oh, we should have sold that money and given it to the poor. Jesus said, you let her alone. She's wrought a good work on me. And then he said this. He said, wherever this gospel is preached, this shall be told as a testimony for her. What's your alabaster box today? What's in your alabaster box? Are you willing to break it open and share it with Jesus? Because one day we'll have a place in heaven. And I promise you this, all kidding aside, there are going to be people in heaven who are going to be rewarded for things that nobody ever heard of down here. They're going to be rewarded for praying for people. They're going to be rewarded for witnessing to people. They're going to be rewarded for faithful service. They may never get their name in the bulletin. They may never get on the platform and say a word, but they give God their service. And God says, I have a place in heaven for you that's going to be magnificent. Now here's the proposition. The devil wants to trick us. God wants to treat us. Are you going to fall for the devil's tricks? Or are you going to accept God's tricks? Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. And for the sake of the Messiah, 
rather than enjoy, and young people listen to this, the short-lived pleasures of sin. I'm not going to tell you that sin is not pleasure, because sin is pleasure. It wouldn't be tempting if it wasn't. But it's short-lived pleasure, and you pay for it for a long, long time. Trick or treat today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us while we were unlovely. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. We did not deserve that. We deserve death, hell, and the grave. But Jesus left heaven so we could enter heaven someday. And Father, I pray if there's one person here today who has been putting off getting saved, or maybe they've been putting off being baptized, or maybe they've been putting off joining the church, or they've been tricked by the devil, they're making a gamble with their life. I pray today that we would all open our hearts and receive that wonderful gift of love that you gave in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we serve him gladly all the days of our life. For we ask it in his precious name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our hymn invitation, Paula, hymn number? Hymn 602. The staff's going to come and stand down front. You need a church home. You need to make a decision. Staff will be glad to pray with you as we sing. You come right now. Step out in the aisle. Come down. From the balcony, it only takes a moment. You come. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.